1: Hello, and thank you for listening to the History of World War II podcast, episode 88, Churchill, the War Correspondent. Today we are joined by James W. Mueller, professor of political science at the University of Alaska, Anchorage, who has been studying Churchill, his life and writings, and in particular, the River War, for two plus decades. Thank you, Professor Mueller, for being with us today.
2: Well, it's good to be with you.
1: I do. I do appreciate you, you taking your time with us. So I was um, quite frankly shocked when we talked last week when you were telling me that the first edition of uh, Churchill's book, The River War, um, when it came out, uh, I think it came out in two volumes, roughly um, a thousand pages talking about the River War. But a couple of years later, Uh, I don't know how to say this, a condensed or edited version of that came out. And subsequently the first edition hasn't seen the light of day for just over a hundred years.
2: That's right. The first edition was published on the 6th of November, 1899 and a new shortened edition, abridged by Churchill took the place of it, uh, reducing the book to a single volume in 1902. So for the last hundred years and more, uh, the only edition that's been circulating, uh, except for the 3,000-some copies printed of the first edition, has been this abridgment.
1: Yeah, that was uh, one of my first questions. I was going to see if uh, Churchill did the editing, or if his maybe his editor did, and, and can you give us an idea of why he decided to uh, come out with the condensed version?
2: This is kind of a mystery. I was in London on my wedding trip, which uh, was 15 months long. I had a sabbatical, and I recommend a 15-month <laughs> wedding trip to you or any of your listeners who are fortunate enough to be able to try it. <laughs> I saw uh, that. It was a working wedding trip in that I was working on a book on Churchill uh, and on his writings. And when I uh, was sitting at the British Library in the in the old reading room where Karl Marx and others did their work I discovered after having worked on this book The River War through the Fall because I was writing a chapter about it mm-hmm. that there was a longer version of the book and in the rare book room of the British Library I uh, first handled the The original two volumes published in 1899, and I discovered that there were long and very interesting passages of criticism of Churchill's commanding officer, Lord Kitchener, uh, autobiographical uh, stories about things that happened to Churchill himself on the campaign, Mm -hmm. and um, plenty of other interesting anecdotes and colorful stories about the dervishes. the Muslim rebels whom the Anglo-Egyptian army was fighting in the Sudan, which had all been cut out of the shorter version of the book. And it was then sometime in January 1989 that I resolved that this book should be put back into print uh, in its full version.
1: That is absolutely amazing. So uh, if it's okay with you, we'll just um, jump into the background of this a little bit. So it's September 2nd, 1898. It's the Battle of Um Umdurman. And, you know, Churchill takes place, uh, takes part of the last um, significant cavalry charge for the British. So the battle's over and he's going to head home to start writing his book.
2: That's pretty much true. Churchill had been on that campaign uh, for several weeks. Mm-hmm. He was only present at the climax of the campaign, uh, as you said, during the Battle of Omdurman and took a rather significant part in it because he had been attached to the 21st Lancers, a cavalry unit, uh, which had never seen action in war before. Right. Uh, their nickname was the 20 worst dancers. <laughs> and Sorry. Churchill uh, himself, fought with a Mauser pistol he had recently purchased Mm -hmm. because he had injured his um, shoulder in India getting out of a a lighter in in the harbor at Bombay. Mm -hmm. And he was afraid that he wouldn't have the uh, strength in his shoulder to use a sword. And this may possibly have saved him
1: um,
2: from serious injury or death during the cavalry charge because Almost all the British and Egyptian casualties uh, in the Battle of Omdurman occurred during the cavalry charge. It was the most dangerous and uh, certainly the most glorious and dashing um, feature of that battle, even though it was controversial whether it should have happened at all and whether it uh, contributed anything to the eventual British victory over the dervishes. But... um, Churchill had had conjured himself to the Sudan by an amazing campaign, mm-hmm. uh, which involved um, using his mother, her friends and connections, and um, the Prince of Wales, the heir to the throne, and, and many other people who were friendly to him. And because, as it turned out, The commanding officer, the Sirdar, as he was called, of the Anglo-Egyptian army, Mm -hmm. Kitchener, was unfriendly to Churchill's joining uh, the campaign, thinking that Churchill had had enough special opportunities and worried that Churchill, who had written about the campaigns as a war correspondent, in addition to fighting in them Mm -hmm. as a a young officer, would... uh, would possibly write something uh, critical of uh, his commanding officers as he had done um, in previous campaigns. Um, It was very difficult for Churchill to get there. He arrived in August in Egypt. uh, And as you said, the climactic battle was the second day of September. So he spent in total, um, less than a month in Egypt and the Sudan on that occasion, and um, began writing uh, dispatches back to the Morning Post, mm-hmm. which had commissioned him to write letters from the front almost as soon as he joined the other troops marching through the desert. But The, the campaign had been going on since 1896. Kitchener had built an amazing rail, uh, railroad across the Sahara Desert to help move the troops and their supplies, including gunboats, which had to go around the cataracts on the Nile and had to be disassembled, shipped on the train piece by piece, and then reassembled uh, south of the cataracts. Wow. And uh, that campaign had led up to a battle in June at the confluence between the Atbara River and the Nile. The Atbara is the last big tributary uh, that that dumps water into the Nile River before the Nile flows for about 800 miles across the Sahara Desert without getting another drop of water wow. until it reaches the Mediterranean Sea. And um, Churchill was really distressed that he didn't get to the Sudan in time for the battle at the Atbara. Um, he started writing back to the Morning Post before the battle.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: He wrote 15 dispatches uh, over the course of the next few weeks, about half of them before the battle and, and half of them during and after the battle. And he wrote those on paper he had taken from the British agent in Cairo, Lord Cromer, um, with uh, his fountain pen in purple ink Uh um, in the desert after marching uh, for 15 to 25 miles in 115 degree heat and had them to, to get those sent back down the river and back to London before they can be published. There were telegraphs which were used for military purposes and, and could also transmit very brief uh, bits of news so that people in London heard about what was happening in the Sudan in terms of the headlines within a very short time. Right. But Churchill's dispatches often took about three weeks to get, overland back to the morning post. And so this created a sort of a problem for him. What he had to do was to figure out how to write something interesting uh, about the battle and and prospects for it beforehand and, and what it had accomplished afterwards and so on, which would be of interest to people back home several weeks after they already knew the, the upshot, or, or the, the headlines, Right. and as he had done from the Malakand campaign in India earlier, the year uh, the year before, mm-hmm. uh, in the fall of 1897, when he was in it in what's now Pakistan on the border with Afghanistan, Churchill tried to make the campaign come alive for. People back in England um, picture somebody reading the newspaper or sitting in his club in in London um, or elsewhere in England so that people would know what the battle was like and and what the conditions in the desert were like, how important the Nile River was Mm -hmm. um, to the livelihood and to the future of Egypt and so on. And... um, People were very intrigued at this time by the prospect that Britain might do something um, with its new role in Egypt, where the British, through their agent, Lord Cromer, were giving advice to the Native ruler of Egypt, the Khedive, who was technically still a, a subject of the Ottoman Sultan in in uh, Constantinople, right. but uh, the Khedive actually had to take his advice from the British agent. And looming over the whole campaign was the memory of General Gordon, who had been martyred in Khartoum when the Dervishes took over the country, and threw the Egyptians and, uh, and their British advisors and, and officers out of the country um, in 1885. There was a, a, a wide desire on the part of British people to avenge General Gordon, who was thought of in many ways as a Christian martyr, and though that may not have been the most important motive for the war on the part of the British, it certainly was a very emotional feature of the way the British public understood the campaign, and it, it made them fascinated for for news about it, for to, to get a better understanding of what kind of people these dervishes were, just as... In our century now, Americans are intrigued and appalled by um, the, the partisans of, of political Islam who have declared a kind of war or jihad against, against us and our kind of liberal democracy. Right. So those are the kinds of things Churchill was writing about, and um, he had a very ambitious literary plan for his dispatches uh, because he had been so much criticized and by none more than Kitchener and some of the high officers in the British army for, for writing as a correspondent, uh, which raised the possibility that he might criticize his officers Mm -hmm. as well as um, uh, serving as a, as a rather junior cavalry officer in in the Queens armies. Um, Churchill pretended that he was writing these dispatches as letters to a friend who then, without his knowledge and against his wishes, leaked them to the newspaper. That was the conceit, and Churchill wrote these letters in a literary way um, as if that were the case. But The newspaper, which was paying him 10 pounds a pop for these letters, uh, was somewhat less enamored with this conceit, and they changed uh, some of the things Churchill wrote um, to conceal that literary conceit and to make the dispatches look more like normal war reporting. And so there is a bit of a difference between the original dispatches Churchill wrote and the versions of them that were published in the newspapers. The original dispatches have never been published, but I discovered them in the 1990s um, where they descended through the papers of the newspaper when it went out of business Mm -hmm. to the family of the owner and had eventually come to rest in an archive in Britain in Leeds at the university there. And uh, what I did then was to transcribe them carefully and to prepare a new edition of those 15 dispatches, Mm -hmm. which are, so to speak, the original version of the book, uh, the raw material for the book, which shows... Uh, what Churchill originally wrote, even with occasional spelling errors and <laughs> mistakes and so on,
0: right.
2: um, and how that compares to what was eventually published in the newspaper. And that, that edition of The Dispatches will appear in the new edition of the book as a, as a long appendix. And I, I think readers will find that very interesting because it's never been published, and um, it shows how ambitious Churchill was, age twenty-three, um, as a as a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he compared what he was doing to uh, the writings of Joseph Addison um, years early, and. Earlier, and he was quite upset that the newspaper editor had cut out some of this when he saw the published version of the dispatches. But, of course, he was happy to be paid for his, for his writing. Uh, he was making much more as a war correspondent already here in the Sudan than he was ever paid as a cavalry officer in the Queen's Army. And, um, of course, he was getting a, a wide audience for, for his thoughts. But Churchill, um, in the time between the Battle of Omdurman uh, in September 1898 and uh, the time when the book went to the publisher, which was in the summer of 1899, worked very, very hard on this book, um, the Malachan Field Force's first book, had been written uh, you know, in a white heat in about six weeks. Um, this book, he spent almost a year of his life working on. Uh, he, he has a list at the beginning of the book of 22 books he read and consulted
0: mm-hmm.
2: as preparation for writing it and an equally long list of government documents, various reports on the situation in Egypt and the Sudan that he consulted. And um, he he wrote in, in this book called The River War, the full title is The River War, an Historical Account of the Reconquest of the Sudan. Mm-hmm. And he added to... Just the military chronicle of what happened. Five fairly substantial chapters at the beginning describing uh, the scene of the war and the um, rebellion um, in the Sudan that founded the Dervish Empire, including the, the death of, of General Gordon at Khartoum. Right. Uh, and then followed the campaign story um, with a number of chapters on the diplomatic situation in Africa because this war, in a larger sense, was part of the competition between Britain and France for uh, dominance in Africa. And also some interesting chapters on the... Uh, his his thoughts when he walked over the battlefield after the battle, um, thinking about the motives of the dervishes, what had inspired them to fight, mm-hmm. Churchill rejects the idea that the dervishes were simply fanatics. Uh, he thinks they fought because they wanted freedom, and that their motives... Uh, um, it included courage, he calls them as brave men as ever walked the earth. Um, he does think that they, they were extraordinarily bad at understanding the power of modern weapons right. because they were no match with their trashy rifles and their swords and their suits of chain mail and helmets sometimes borrowed from crusaders um, right. for the machine guns, and the gunboats of the Anglo-Egyptian army, which were sort of the latest military weapons. But um, Churchill is surprisingly sympathetic toward the dervishes, and even to their leaders, despite the fact that he rather bluntly criticizes them for for their faults and for their Um, sometimes barbarous, cruel, and tyrannical practices. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good thing that the Dervish Empire was overthrown. But he he rejects the idea that the Dervishes are simply vermin who deserve to be rubbed off the face of the earth, Mm -hmm. that they don't have any uh, redeeming qualities, that they should be looked down on because they belong to a different race, and And that sort of thing. Right. And it's inter- it's interesting that Churchill has a very clear-sighted, unsentimental um, view of the native troops um, which fought on both sides of the battle. Um, this Anglo-Egyptian army uh, was an army that had British officers, except for a very few, Egyptians who were officers, mostly non-commissioned officers, Mm -hmm. Um, and then the the ordinary soldiers, including the cavalry troopers, were uh, Egyptians, Egyptian peasants, um, or black Sudanese troops. And um, Churchill sees a, a big difference between the fighting capabilities of those two different kinds of troops. The Egyptian peasants were very reluctant soldiers. They were strong, patient, um, uncomplaining. Uh, They had wonderful endurance, but they weren't very brave. Right. And they were disposed to run away. Um, They were treated pretty decently by the British. They were paid, which they never had been Mm -hmm. um, when the Egyptians ran their own army. Uh, they were sent to the hospital if they got sick, instead of being whipped, uh, as they had been in, in the older regime before the British took over. Right. But um, but they weren't um, fighting types, really, except by um, habits that that went against their grain. Whereas the the black troops from the more southerly part of the Sudan who fought on the side of the British. Um, were more excitable, um, had less in the way of endurance, but were considerably um, more inured to and experienced in fighting, and they were much braver. And those black troops were always put in front during the battles because uh, they were willing to advance rather than trying to uh, run away. And... um, one of the things Churchill does in the uh, in the River War is he he asks the question, why is it that these black troops um, are not eligible for the Victoria Cross? He criticizes the British for giving lower medals and awards to the native soldiers than to the British soldiers if the feats are equally impressive. He thinks they should get the same decorations. And he even says that the most impressive military feat during the war was a charge by the 10th Sudanese, the black troops, uh, which he says is more impressive than the cavalry charge in in which he participated. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are are a number of of things um, in the book that would make the sort of typical prejudiced British officer uncomfortable. And um, and certainly uh, Churchill's criticisms of Kitchener uh, throughout the book um, fell into that category.
1: Well, you, you bring up a really good point. Um, about the people back home in England would find out about, you know, they'd find out the major strokes of the war, the headlines, but then Churchill's letters would give them the detail and it would be like putting, putting the war right in front of them. So they would know what it would be like to, to be there. And I guess that was a part of what made his, um, correspondence so popular.
2: Yes, that's right. His, his letters from, um, India, um, or what's now Pakistan, um, Pakistan published in another newspaper had been very popular, even though they were published anonymously. Mm -hmm. These letters in the Morning Post were very widely read. His mother made sure everybody knew who had written them, even though um, all of them except the last were published under um, a pen name. And um, I think part of the reason people found them so appealing was that in addition to his to his writing ability, which Mm -hmm. was already evident, um, Churchill was extremely observant. And though it wasn't for several more decades that he took up painting,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um, you can see in the writing in these dispatches and in the River War the kind of eye for color and scenes that made Churchill a good observer uh, when it came to painting um, his descriptions of, of the sunset over the Nile River uh, and his his depictions of the desert and and the scenery and the conditions uh, under which the troops had to fight are really memorable and there are Kind of amazing passages in in this book, uh, though some of them are cut out in the abridged version. That I think the readers will really find rather fascinating.
1: I thought you, um, you you brought up another good point, that he worked really hard on this book for a year, but I think it's interesting that he stopped somewhere in the writing of it so he could finish up his novel, Savrola. Was that, like, for financial reasons? Did he just need to, to get that out, or was he maybe just needed a break from writing, you know, on the one subject for so long?
2: You know, uh, Savrola wasn't finally published until um, late 1899. It was first published in the United States um, and then promptly in Britain. Um, it was first published serially uh, in, in Macmillan's magazine, and then soon after that in, in 1900 as a book. Um, this was a novel Churchill had written in um, India in 1897 and 1898. And it was substantially finished, though he tinkered with with uh, the end and revised it throughout the time we're talking about. You're right that he that he worked on it some more. Mm-hmm. Churchill was an indefatigable reviser. He he believed in editing and perfecting everything he had written, and that's part of the the reason for for the prose being so wonderful. Um, but this was a book about an imaginary. Republic, um, which uh, is somewhere on the Mediterranean Sea, perhaps uh, in the Balkans, which had been, uh, which had had its traditional republican institutions subverted by a rather nasty military dictator. And about the young man, uh, an impressive orator, Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: someone who had read many of the philosophical and literary and historical books Churchill, as a young man, also read who led the rebellion against this um, nasty dictator and in the process of that rebellion also um, um, uh, took away the dictator's lovely wife. Um, so it had a kind of romantic uh, aspect as well as the political and military one. But it's an adventure story Quite imaginary, and right. um, some people think a kind of autobiography of Churchill before the fact. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's quite right. I think there are, there are many characters in Savrola, the, this novel, uh, who have bits of Churchill in them, but Churchill, the author, um, really stands above any of the particular characters in the book. Um, it's an intriguing book. It's been in and out of print, and it's going to be returned to print um, next year along with The River War. Uh, I'm not editing the, the novel. A friend of mine is doing that, though so I'll write the foreword to the new edition. Oh, wow. Okay. But, uh, but the new edition of Savrola will be illustrated with the lovely drawings that um, were done for a, uh, a French edition of the book, uh, published a long time ago in Monaco. And, uh, so I think it'll be rather special to have Savrola back in print. I've, I've found always when I've had a chance to teach that book to my students that students in college, uh, Love reading Churchill's novel. they find it very intriguing and we have, we always have wonderful discussions about it
1: so um I'm not sure as far as the timeline goes, but at some point he's, he realized he's made a name for himself. He's working on his book and then he's ready to run for office. So he re, he meets with, um, Richard Middleton, who's the skipper or party manager. And he says, you know, sure, we'll set you up. So, um, Churchill's about to run for office, but then he has to be honest and say, I don't have the money needed. Um, you know, he's doing pretty well. He's made what 300 pounds from his Sudan dispatches. He's getting three pounds a week from the letters of London series that he's doing but they they find for him a place to run I think he's running in um, is it Oldham in the in a part of Lincolnshire but his partner that he was going to run with dies and the and another gentleman retires so it's a working district he knows he's going to lose the election but being Churchill he loves a good fight so he throws himself into it using what money he is making and the popularity that he's gained uh, from his experiences
2: that's right. Um, uh, Churchill had given his first uh, official public speech as a young conservative at the uh, home of uh, D, uh up in the hills above Bath in mm-hmm. um, 1897 uh, at what is now the American Museum in Bath. And um, that was a wonderful speech, and it was written up in the Morning Post and so on. But that happened before Churchill went on any of his uh, military adventures. Um, Mm. By 1899, um, Churchill had been working on this book. Uh, He had actually resigned from the army, which gave him uh, more leeway to write whatever he wanted about Kitchener and others. Um, Mm. He had uh, participated in a a polo game in India, which he wanted to uh, take part in and um he'd been back and forth between India and uh, Egypt, doing research for the book quite a quite a lot. but he did get back as you say to Oldham uh, a rather gritty industrial town uh sort of uh, blue collar town as we would say to uh to to conduct this political campaign and he lost uh it wasn't a uh, a humiliating loss. Um, Churchill fought elections all his life, and he won more than he lost. But this this first one, he, he wasn't successful. But it didn't discourage him, and uh, there would be another election um, in in fairly rapid succession, um, which he which he won.
1: This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing, it's all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Right. I thought it was interesting that um, from the books I was able to read, he was a very... Solid speaker, and he became a lot better at speaking off the cuff while running for office. But he wasn't quite yet a good politician. He was speaking to working class people struggling just just to get by. And he's talking about the empire and, and keeping things the way they are. And, of course, they wanted to hear something different. But, yeah, out of the 48,000 or so votes, he only lost by like 1,300. So it was a close-run thing, and you have to think that his fame and eloquence had a lot to do with that. Yes,
2: he was a magnetic uh, personality, and so he was a much more interesting candidate, um, even as a very young man than um, most of the others. But he was a political unknown. He was a Tory running in a in a, in a district that would more likely be expected to vote liberal, which it did. Right. And um, uh, Churchill was a, a partisan of free trade. He was in favor of... Uh, um, that old-fashioned liberal idea of uh, of letting goods flow across borders without tariffs. Mm-hmm. And um, he did have a pretty good argument, I think, in his first campaign, and subsequently that free trade benefits uh, ordinary people because it um, means that goods, and particularly food and other things that um, ordinary families need, are less expensive than they would be if um, if protective tariffs were, were adopted.
1: Right. I want to um, mention one thing, and then I'm going to ask you to set up um, Churchill's part of the Boer War when he's getting ready to go down there and, and all this stuff. But I just have to mention his polo match. I just found that so charming. He's about to, I think if, if I've got this right, he's about to leave the Army, but he has to participate in this polo match, um, which may sound silly to some of us but he considered it the empire of all games so he sails basically halfway around the world is getting ready for this polo match the night before the match i think it's the night before the match he he, he hurts his arm and he's offering to not um participate in the game and his um his colleagues are saying no you have to do this so again they strap his right arm down uh, and they uh, they compete. He does. He does. He does really well. They win four to three, and he scores three out of the four goals. And then, like you said, he comes back. He stops by uh, Egypt first to do some more research. But I just find it amazing he was willing to sail that far just to play in a game, and then come back and, and pick up his life where it left off.
2: Yes, Churchill actually played polo um, occasionally until his fifties. Uh, he called it the Prince of Games. Um, And he said it combined all the excitement of of hitting a ball with um, uh, riding a horse. Um, So it it combined a lot of things he found exciting. But certainly um, he was willing to uh, give his place to somebody else who was healthier. And um, his fellow players uh, insisted that he play even in his injured condition. And, And their judgment was justified by the result since, as you said, he scored three of the four goals that his his team scored.
1: Let me um give you what little bit I know about what's going to happen or what's going to bring about the Boer War, and then you can fill us in and and um tell us everything that Churchill did to get ready to go down there. Um, I do know there was a London treaty of eighteen eighty four um, there would be limited self government for Transvaal and the orange free state the uh right
2: those were the two mm-hmm. um, those were the two colonies uh, of the Dutch um uh, in South Africa, uh, and the people who were Dutch settlers there were called the Boers, and they had been down in South Africa for several hundred years already, uh, coexisting, sometimes uncomfortably, with Britons um, who had also settled down there and who had two uh, separate colonies of their own, the Cape Colony and Natal. Um, so that's roughly the geography that your, your listeners have to keep in mind when they're thinking about uh, the Boer War.
1: Right. But then gold is discovered in Transvaal, Transvaal and there were already diamonds discovered on the border of or- the Orange Free State. So you have a bunch of, I guess, British citizens um, flocking to the area. So now... Certain um, people in the British government want rights, you know, like the right to vote for their people down there, and the president um, down there, Paul Kruger, is saying no. So the tent, the political pressure, if you will, is mounting, and so the British are sending troops down there, and the president Kruger goes, "If you keep sending people down, um, there's going to be a state of war." So he gives them an ultimatum. The British ignore it, and suddenly, um, you know, shots are being fired, and and um, I think it's I think the Orange Free State joins Transvaal right as the war begins so now Britain has to worry about taking on the two colonies instead of just one.
2: That's right. Um the the preliminary to the Boer War um uh, there was a first Boer War in the 1880s as you said
0: mm-hmm.
2: and the settlement there uh, left the the two Dutch colonies uh independent and um Then there was a celebrated episode called the Jameson Raid in which um, Cecil Rhodes, who was the the founder later of the Rhodes Scholarships, who was the premier of the Cape Colony, um, got some of his friends and close associates to make a sort of a raid across the border into the Transvaal, hoping to stir up a rebellion by... Uh, Britons living there against the the Dutch or the Boer rulers. Mm -hmm. Um, What had happened, as you said, was that um, the the prospects uh, for for gold mining there and for diamonds in other parts of South Africa were so irresistible that there were um, people who had moved in to um, take advantage of the opportunities in gold and diamond mining in South Africa, and so many of them, that in Johannesburg and in many important parts of, of the Transvaal, um, British-speaking, English-speaking uh, people were in the majority, mm-hmm. and yet none of them were allowed to vote. And so this was a, an attempt to make a kind of a, a democratic revolution that would have overturned the rule of the Boers in South Africa. And Kruger, their president, was having none of it. And um, you you can't persuade anybody by reasonable argument to give up his own skin. And so um, by October of uh, of 1899, uh, hostilities were breaking out. Um, Churchill had a number of conversations just before he left for South Africa with Joseph Chamberlain, who was Colonial Secretary, mm-hmm. and who, under the Prime Minister Lord Salisbury, was um, all for this war to try to uh, to beat the Dutch um, settlers in in South Africa, and uh, fairly large armies of um, British troops were were sent down to support the English speaking. Irregular units that had already begun to form um, to to conduct the war, but the war began very badly for the British, and in particular, what happened right away was that several British cities, Lady Smith in Natal, and um, Mafeking further west were invested or surrounded by Boers, and mm-hmm. uh, they attempted to starve out the British um, settlers there. And those were the places that Churchill was uh, was interested in, because that's where the action was at the beginning of the war. Um, he left London, uh, on the same ship with the man who was sent by the British government to command uh, the uh, the English army,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, General Buller, um, on a, a, a ship called the Donatar Castle, which took about two weeks, um, moving not too quickly, to get from uh, Britain all the way down to, to Cape Town. Uh, once he had caught up, um, he realized that he had just time uh, to get to Smith before the circle of Boer troops closed around that town. And so uh, at, at some risk, and, and also having to take a, a sea voyage in, in a very choppy part of the Indian Ocean um, to get to that more easterly part of, of South Africa, where Natal province was, Churchill got himself to the outskirts of Ladysmith, um, only to discover that the Boers had succeeded in closing the ring around the city, and he couldn't get in. Churchill chafed at, at being on the edge of things. He's no longer in the army at this point. He was uh, just a correspondent for the Morning Post, which I now was paying him considerably more, um, thanks to his reputation. He was the highest paid uh, British war correspondent ever, with um, 250 pounds uh, advance and uh, the right to go anywhere he wanted at the expense of the newspaper. And um, pretty soon he ran into one of his uh, friends who was in command of an armored train that was being sent out from uh, the front at a little town called Estcourt in Natal toward the Boer line surrounding Ladysmith. Uh, along Mm -hmm. the railway through territory that was controlled by the Boers, and Churchill wasn't sure this was a very prudent thing to do, but it was exciting, and his friend was in command, and so he went along, and this was on the 15th of November, 1899. Mm -hmm. Now, just to Link the, the two things we've talked about together. I should point out this is nine days after the River War, Churchill's book, had been published. And I I've discovered to my surprise that in those days, um, book reviews appeared in all the leading newspapers of Britain. Uh, not excluding Scotland and Northern Ireland and so on, um, and even Southern Ireland in those days, uh, on the very day that the book was published, there were reviews of it because advanced copies had been sent to the reviewers of those newspapers. Right. um, In dozens and dozens and dozens of newspapers all over the country. So the publishing of this book was a major event. Mm-hmm. But Churchill was not on a book tour. He was <laughs> he was in South Africa already, and um, in nine days after the book appeared, I mean, before he had received any news at all about the reception of the book back in England, uh, he was on this armored train chugging along uh, into Boer territory with uh, British troops and. As you might expect, um, uh, an armored train looks more formidable than it really is uh, because the train went out a number of miles into Boer territory um, and was occasionally fired at by Boer snipers and so on. And then uh, when it turned around to go back to to its base after doing the reconnaissance, Some boers had put a large boulder on the track, um, and they ambushed the train as it approached the boulder. The engineer um, put on more coal to to speed up and get away from the ambush and and drove the train straight into the boulder, which was right around the bend in the track. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: the train was thrown off the track. A number of cars were derailed, And um, at this point, then the Boers closed in and and started trying to finish off the the British troops who were in the train. Um, It was a very dangerous situation. A lot of people were shot, and a number of them were killed. And um, Churchill, though he was technically... a military uh, correspondent and not a a serving officer Mm -hmm. jumped out and tried to do what he could uh, about the situation. Um, His friend who was in command rallied the troops. What Churchill tried to do was to see whether he could get the train cars that had been derailed somehow back onto the tracks Mm -hmm. so that the train could escape. And um, to do that, he had to push some of the derailed cars off the track, uh, for which he needed, of course, help from lots of soldiers. And it was a dangerous thing to do because you had to expose yourself to enemy fire. But he did eventually succeed in doing that, and uh, to the extent that the engine uh, was able to escape and to take a number of the wounded soldiers back toward uh, safety. In friendly territory mm-hmm. and um churchill uh, well while he was urging the civilian engine driver to uh to risk his uh safety by continuing to drive the engine which which he had some doubts about whether he should <laughs> um forgot his pistol laid it down in the in the engine of the train and then um Later on, trying to gather troops um, to follow the train across the railroad um, embankment, um, Churchill was cornered by a Boer rifleman, reached down for his pistol and realized he didn't have it anymore. And um, thinking that Surrender may be pardoned when you're unarmed, and you're almost sure to be shot if you don't surrender. Right. He put up his hands and became a prisoner of the Boers on the fifteenth of November eighteen
1: ninety nine yeah and, I think he, he definitely made the right call on that on that occasion
2: well, I think so <laughs> um, he He had a couple of bullets in his pocket, and he thought that they might be compromising given that he was soon to claim that he was a war correspondent, not a soldier, and he should be treated um, as such and therefore released.
0: Right. So
2: he dropped the bullets on the ground and uh, slogged through the mud and the rain um, to join other um, Britain's officers and, and enlisted men who had been rounded up by the Boers and who, who were being marched off not a considerable distance across the belt to um, prison in Pretoria, the, the Boer capital. Right, and um, the the Boers had um, taken a, a a normal school, a teacher training school, uh, in the heart of Pretoria, uh, the state model school, and had turned it uh, during the war into a prison for British officers. The enlisted men were um, in rather more primitive digs out at the racetrack on the, on the outskirts of Pretoria. The officers were were kept in pretty uh, comfortable conditions in the, in this former school. Um, but um, Churchill absolutely hated being a prisoner. He uh, he, he looked back on his experience there as, as one of the most painful and, and difficult parts of his life. He, he just very much hated being confined. Uh, he read John Stuart Mill's book On Liberty mm-hmm. while he was uh, uh, confined to the prison, He followed avidly all the events of the war and and drew a map on the wall there, which can still be seen at the school, um, in order to follow the progress of the war. Uh, Because he had good social connections and was ambitious, he he kept up a correspondence with a number of fairly high Boer officials uh, who... uh, were somewhat sympathetic to him and considered releasing him because he was a war correspondent. But because he was the most prominent um, British captive, they were reluctant to let him go and and um, and didn't. And he began to formulate plans to escape uh, from the Boer prison, um, together with a number of his... Uh, brother officers, and also somebody who was pretending to be an officer and was in the prison but really wasn't. Um, Churchill formulated plans for an escape. Actually, several of them were planning to escape, and he um, attached himself to their (laughs) plans. And uh, I don't know whether you want me to describe the circumstances of the escape or not.
1: Uh, well, tell you what, I'll, I'll uh, cover that in the next episode, if that's okay. I did want to, I thank you. I did want to mention something about when he was captured. I just think it's like you were saying, it's really amazing. So on November 6th, 1899, the river war is published on the 15th. He's captured and he's about to become even more of a celebrity, but I just, I find it amazing, um, that he was basically under fire for about 70 minutes. He helped as many of the wounded as he can as he could get back to safety. And then he goes back into the um, firefight to try to help some others. And that's when he's captured. And like you were saying, he tried to say that I don't, I shouldn't be a prisoner. I'm not a soldier. I'm a war correspondent. But then all the people that he rescued were being interviewed by other war correspondents saying how he had participated to a certain degree in the battle and trying to help them. So between that and being the son of a Lord, they're like, well, you're the best a most prominent prisoner we've ever had, so no, there's no way we're going to release you.
2: Yes, that's right. Well, certainly his own fortunes had taken a a real turn for the worse that day when he was captured, <laughs> and um, the British fortunes in the war um, weren't very good at the beginning either. These mm. towns, Lady Smith and, and Mafking, were increasingly beleaguered uh, the famous founder of the boy scouts later lord baden powell in command at mafeking and sir george white uh, in command over at ladiesmith um, both places were surrounded and very tightly uh, blockaded by the Boers, and um, there had been a number of of battles where the british hadn't fared too well um, they thought it would be an easy war over quickly, one of these little wars that soldiers had to fight under Queen Victoria. But this war was a whole lot bigger than they expected, and um, uh, Churchill certainly seemed to be having the same bad luck that his country was having. Uh, but you're right, he was the most prominent prisoner at the state model school, and he um, his account of his time in captivity in uh, his autobiography, My Early Life, which is, uh, I think, his most charming book, um, mm-hmm. is really quite wonderful and memorable. Um, he calls the the, the chapter, um, when he's been captured, Endurance Vile, <laughs> and he... Uh, as I said, he really hated the the time he spent in in prison. I've been to Pretoria uh, as one of many places I've tried to trace Churchill's footsteps, and mm-hmm. and, and have gone to the state model school. I've seen the um, the building, which is still um, very much the way it was in those days, and um, the map on the wall that Churchill drew or caused to be drawn so he could follow the progress of the war and also the fence um, over which he he eventually managed to escape. Um, there was nothing there that prevented him from getting out that went much beyond the agility of, of uh, a young, fairly healthy uh, person but of course, there were people with guns trying to make sure nobody escaped, and and those human barriers are more are more difficult to surmount than the physical ones, of course. So, um, uh, there were a number of prisoners who tried to dig a tunnel, and uh, Churchill may have had some conversations with them and and thought about that. Um, but eventually, of course, he he figured out another way of escaping, which you're going to, uh, which you're going to tell your your listeners about in a future show. What's interesting then is that at this moment we're talking about in November of 1899, Churchill has written three books uh, in four volumes, two volumes of the River War, um, the first book, the story of the Malachan Field Force and his novel, though the novel hasn't yet been published, um, but the serialization is, is about to begin the next month on so, uh, Subrola. Um, he is run for office, or, or stood, because the British are more inhibited. They don't run for office, they stand for Parliament. <laughs> uh, and, and though he's lost, he, he put in a pretty respectable showing, and, mm-hmm. and is expected to try again, which of course he does in the next year. And um, he's made a name for himself, um, both as a cavalry officer and more especially as a newspaper correspondent uh, covering wars, now on three different continents and four different wars, beginning, of course, with Cuba in 1895, Mm -hmm. where he went not as a Uh, an officer serving Queen Victoria, but as a British officer observing the um, Spanish um, effort to put down a rebellion in Cuba uh, by guerrilla war. And then over on the northwest frontier of India, in the Malakand region, that unsettled territory um, where the Taliban are hanging out even now,
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and third in in the sudan and and now the biggest of the wars uh, for him so far in South Africa.
1: I I want to mention something, and then I'm going to ask you about your book that's coming out next year. Um, I thought it was interesting, and maybe, again, it's because of his position, but he was allowed to send out letters, and he wrote out one to Pamela Plowden, Plowden, who was his, I guess, girlfriend, even though she was very frustrated with him because he spent all of his time focused on his career, not on her. But I thought it was interesting that he was captured on November 15th, and then of course November 30th was his 25th birthday and he wrote yeah. to, he wrote to um one of Jenny's um friends that he was turning 20 that he was turning uh, 25 and he had this idea that he was going to die at age 46 so he had to get as much done as he possibly could and here he was stuck in in a in a prison and he was just very frustrated by that um but that's a lot to have get gotten done by your 25th uh your 25th birthday. It's just absolutely amazing.
2: Well, so it seems to me, and of course, um, Churchill would soon write two more books about his adventures in South Africa, um, London to Ladysmith via Pretoria, and uh, Ian Hamilton's March, which were published uh, along with the four volumes he had already published before he was elected to Parliament the next year and, and took his seat in 1901, at the age of uh, 26. That's pretty impressive to have written six books um, before you're 26 years old. And um, Churchill certainly didn't let grass grow under his feet, and you're (laughs) right that because his father had died young, um, he was apprehensive that he might not be able to live a long life himself either, though, as it proved, he lived almost twice as long as his father did.
1: Right. Um, So what I'm really excited about, um, your book that's coming out next September 2nd, uh, the anniversary of the Battle of Omdurman, you're going to come out with um, Churchill's original first edition of the River War. Can you tell me a little bit about that, please?
2: Well, I'd love to. You know, um, what I discovered in finding this original edition of the book, which, as I said, was first published only in 3,000 copies
0: mm-hmm.
2: in two volumes, quite an expensive book. And um, I discovered that there were many, many passages in which Churchill um, had told stories about himself or his commanding officer or the dervishes that, especially in hindsight, are really very interesting and um, how he was lost in the desert um, on his way to join the Anglo-Egyptian army up the Nile and found his way by the light of the stars at night, Um, some of his adventures um, uh, on the desert railway that um, Kitchener had built, um, his famous comments, which have circulated like wildfire on the Internet about Islam, Um, which are from the River War but can't be found in the abridged version, Mm -hmm. um, arose one day when the Desert Railway broke down and the um, engine driver, uh, who was an Arab, um, stepped out of his cab and said, this train will go again when Allah wishes. And um, Churchill then had a bit of a rumination about Islam as a as a religion and what its political effects are.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and especially what he has to say about race, religion, war, and empire in this book. Mm-hmm. So what what I've managed to do in in this new edition, and I think your your listeners, if they become readers as I hope they may, Will find it very intriguing, is to show um, not just what was in the first edition, which is all restored, but also the um, additional discussion Churchill gives in the revised version of the book of the sequel to the Battle of Andernach, the eventual um, uh, killing of the Khalifa at the battle the next year, because he writes. Uh, uh, an additional chapter or part of an additional chapter, bringing the story of the war up to date. But also um, it's marked in the the new book by printing text in two different colors and by using footnotes everything that Churchill changed when he revised the book. In the first edition, damning Kitchener with faint praise, he says that uh, Kitchener will certainly have, if not the second place, then the third place among those Britons who helped to reconquer the Sudan. Mm-hmm. And in the revised version, he he softens that and says, Kitchener will certainly have, if not the first place, at least the second. Right. And there are lots of changes like that um, and omissions and um, so on that are quite intriguing. I've also, and I think this will be helpful to readers, um, provided footnotes identifying all the people, places, events, and references to other books that occur in the, in the book. Um, many of these, uh, uh, of course, identify dervishes with, to us, unusual names about whom not much is known. And so there's been a lot of detective work and research in finding uh, finding all that information, that's been um, the the fun of working on this project for almost twenty five years now. Wow! Um, but um, and I've made a number of discoveries that are kind of exciting. the The original, the first edition was illustrated mm. with fifty drawings. Done by one of churchill 's brother officers, a fellow student at Harrow School, with him, Angus McNeil, uh, who did some illustrations for the newspapers and Angus McNeil um, drew these fifty drawings, especially to illustrate churchill 's book and uh, they were left out of the abridged edition of the book oh, but wow. I I discovered the original drawings, which had passed down through Angus McNeil's family, and got permission from the family to reproduce those, and also a color drawing of a dervish McNeil had done, and some other um, illustrations of the campaign in the new edition. And so those Drawings, the 50 drawings, and also some other ones by the same illustrator are um, included in the new edition, together with all of Churchill's writings on the Sudan, uh, because he wrote some other short pieces um, later on when books about the Mahdi or about um, or anniversaries of Gordon's uh, death or other kinds of events happened and so uh, really i i think the publisher is calling this the definitive edition of the river war and that is certainly what what we're aiming at
1: yeah i'm certainly excited especially about the dis- the original dispatches before they were altered could you tell me um just a little bit about the forward and who's doing the forward
2: Yes, uh, the foreword to the book is being written uh, by Churchill's daughter. Um, Churchill had five children, and the youngest of them, Mary Soames, the Lady Soames, is uh, still alive. She's in her 90s and wrote a new foreword connecting uh, the book to her recollections of her father. And um, it's an interesting story because, of course, the book was published... Um, more than two decades before Mary was born. And she had never read it until I asked her to write the foreword. And so she describes in the foreword how she began to read the book um, rather reluctantly, Mm -hmm. like a surly snail, (laughs) and eventually uh, got so intrigued by it that she read not only the first edition, but also the the shorter, revised version, so she could compare the two. So I'm very grateful to her for for that addition to the new book, which is rather exciting to read as well. She has inherited much of her father's talent as a writer and is herself author of about six books about her family. Wow. But I, I, wanted, I didn't want to let you go mm-hmm. without giving you one quotation from the River War. And I picked this one quotation because it's one of the passages that is left out in the abridged version. So people haven't seen it much since 1902. Right, But it occurs in a chapter after the Battle of omdurman when Churchill is reflecting on the motives of the dervishes,
0: Mm -hmm. and where
2: he argues that they were fighting for their freedom and that they were very brave, not just senseless fanatics of some inferior race or something like that. Right. And Churchill writes this, I hope if evil days should come upon our own country, and the last army which a collapsing empire could interpose between London and the invader were dissolving in rout and ruin, that there would be some, even in these modern days, who would not care to accustom themselves to a new order of things and tamely survive the disaster. Wow. The Churchillian rhetoric... Written when he was not yet twenty-five years old in eighteen ninety-nine.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, I will probably never so, be able to write like that.
2: <laughs> well, that's one of the wonderful tidbits that awaits the reader of the new edition.
1: Excellent. So, Professor James Miller, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, I can't wait for that to come out. Um, I think I have around 25,000 listeners, so if we can get them to buy them all, they'll probably all want autographed copies, so maybe you could get busy on that for us. No, I'm just joking. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I know I'm really looking forward to it, and I think it's very interesting that it's coming out September 2nd, You know, the, the anniversary of the Battle of Omdurman. Um, I wish it could come out sooner, but I will certainly be looking for it uh, when it comes out.
2: Well, uh, St. Augustine Press is the publisher, and uh, I I certainly look forward to the publication, too. Ray, it was a delight talking to you this morning, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again sometime.
1: All right. Thank you very much, sir. You take care.
2: All
0: right. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.